There's no one that's female. I mean, why in the hell would I think that I can be successful? Women are not making it to the top of any profession. So it's a very male-dominated environment. We do exist in this society where women in entertainment are discarded. There are women over 40 making pop music, but you won't hear them on commercial radio. And this is why conversation between women and music has never been more important. Hi, and welcome to Control, the podcast where we speak to incredibly inspiring women in the music industry who've taken control of their careers and control of their music. This is your host, Chelsea Wilson, and my first guest is Melbourne-based vocalist and songwriter Tando, an exceptionally talented and hardworking woman who is known as Australia's first lady of R&B. She was first introduced to mainstream Australia through her time on TV show The Voice, but has since forged her own path as an independent artist, producing and releasing her own recordings on her own terms. She's worked with musicians such as Sampa the Great and Remy, performed at festivals such as Big Sound and Strawberry Fields, and has opened for touring artists including Leon Bridges, Maxwell and Alan Stone. I've been following Tando's career since I first heard her music and have always been struck by her gentle and humble nature and her commanding vocal presence. Early in the COVID outbreak, she left Melbourne with her daughter and husband to temporarily return to Canberra, the city she first lived in after immigrating to Australia from Zimbabwe as a child. I really loved my conversation with Tando. We chatted about creativity and isolation, her learnings as a band leader and her future aspirations. She also shared her thoughts on confidence and what changes she'd like to see in the Australian music industry. Here's my chat with Tando. Let me start by saying, hey, how you doing? No, it's been a minute since I hit you up. How's your mother holding up since the last time we spoke? I know that she don't like me too much, but if I gotta be honest, Tendo, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Chelsea. I'm really excited to chat to you about creativity. And when do you feel you're most creative? Do you block out certain times for writing? Do you get ideas all the time? Ah, uh, no. Do you know what? Like speaking on this, I actually I thought that us being in lockdown and in isolation and having everything cancelled would be a really great opportunity to, you know, um, refine my repertoire or write some new stuff. And I found it really difficult to be creative. I just I didn't have any inspiration or any motivation. I was actually feeling kind of dark on music. Um, so it's taken a really long time for me to find that love again. The creativity, I guess, comes from moments of, like, especially if there's pivotal moments in my life. Um, I thought that I'd be most creative in my time recovering from having have had my first child. I thought that I'd be at home just like flowing with all this inspiration because I've got so much to write about, you know, being a young mom and my love for my kid and all this stuff but it just it hasn't really happened yet <laughs> and you know I'll put myself in front of the keys and, and try to write something but I, I feel I don't yet know how to articulate how I'm feeling about being a new mom um, and you know what what excitement and inspiration I get from my child I haven't been able to sort of sit down and yeah put that into music yet so yeah, I guess it's really hard to answer that question. I think when it happens, I don't set out to do it. Sometimes I'll be driving somewhere or in a car park, in a car park or something, and I'm just like, 
humming a melody or something like I'll turn my voice recorder on and and put the like obviously record that idea but you know I might not revisit that idea for six months (laughs) which is actually yeah by like voice recordings on my phone um there's a lot of nuggets in there actually so maybe after this podcast I'll have a listen and see if anything comes from it but yeah it's I, I always expected it to be after a big thing in my life but I think I was wrong I'm the same. I wrote a song in David Jones once, mm. or I got the main idea for it. I just walked around the clothing department, just singing into my phone. I love like, that. Oh, <laughs> I can't forget the song. I've got to get it down. I don't care if the shop assistants are looking at How me. How funny is that? You'd imagine like you're just like doing your shopping, and you just see this woman just like pacing the aisles, singing into her phone. I think that's <laughs> awesome. But I think it's really common. You just get. An, an idea or a seed for a, for a song at, at really strange times, often not when you're sitting in front of the piano. Mm, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know who it was that I was talking to who said that they love people watching. So someone would like go sit in the middle of Burke Street Mall and just like watch people come and go and then that's where they'd get a lot of inspiration for their stuff. And I thought oh, that's a really great idea, people watching. I think my problem is I – feel my strengths in my songwriting come from my lived experiences so I don't know how that would help me but maybe seeing people coming and going could maybe like spark a memory in my subconscious or something and Mm -hmm. yeah make that creative idea for I might do that when things are not so corona-ish. I've been following your work online and I've been so impressed with your live shows that you've been doing during the lockdown. Yeah. I think there's so much pressure on on artists um, to be able to do that so quickly and you're one of the very few that I've seen who've done that really successfully. So huge congratulations. Um, it's It's such a big thing to expect musicians to all of a sudden be able to be video editors or cinematographers and be able to quickly put together something that translates well in the online context. What's that experience been like for you is doing digital gigs? Yeah. Um, Look, I panicked because I don't really like the idea of putting myself out there in a way where I can't really control what it's going to look like. (laughs) Like if it's not a live gig, um, and it's, you know, something that's going out into a medium that will exist forever. Um, I really want to be able to present it in the best way possible. I think I was inspired by seeing a lot of my peers do these really just kind of like home job isolation session type gigs on Instagram live with like obviously really dodgy sound because no one had figured out that you can run an interface through a program that you can use to upload good quality audio and visual onto your Instagram live stream. Um, but also there was no way to monetize those, those, those performances. And I thought, you know, even though we're in the middle of a pandemic, we're in lockdown and, you know, people will be paying for their Netflix and their Spotify and everything else being artists and being musicians doesn't mean that because we're in the middle of a pandemic and we just want a performance opportunity that we should still be giving our art away for free. So I thought about how I would be able to justify monetizing if so many people are jumping on Instagram live to do these shows for free. Um, 
appreciate that, you know, there's things like the Isolate Festival, which were doing these streams to raise money for, you know, Support Act and a few other charities. Mm. As a charitable thing, yeah, absolutely go for gold. Um, but I saw a lot of these opportunities sort of coming up and being unpaid and it just didn't really feel right to me. So I just did a little bit of research of how um, and what the best way to go about obviously putting on a good quality stream is. And, yeah, I definitely can't take full credit. My accompanist um, for these isolation gigs, Christian Barbieri, um, he plays in the CB3. Him and his girlfriend, Zanny invested a lot of time and a lot of money into setting up their home studio to be able to deliver these really great quality um, live performances. And Zanny did this weekly stream on Twitch. So she, you know, set up the interface and set up the camera and really made it something worth, you know, giving $5 for, for, you know, to watch a whole hour stream. And I think seeing the amount of effort that went into creating a really good quality audio and visual sort of inspired me to be able to put it on as like a gig gig as a show and to promote it properly and, I think it's important for people to be able to, you know, not only retain their livelihoods, but to also continue to respect that music comes at a cost and the creation of that content comes at a cost. And, you know, like I said, just being in the middle of a pandemic doesn't necessarily mean that we should still be doing things for free where we can. We definitely need to get paid. And, um, yeah, it's a lot of YouTube tutorials were really good for putting stuff together as well. Um, <laughs> Mm-hmm. So, you know, if I have the time to when I'm at home, because I'm, I'm in a different state now, um, isolating with family. Um, so if someone can watch my child for me, I'll definitely do another one from here. And I feel I've got the knowledge now, having worked with Christian and Zanny for how to put everything together. It's just, yeah, a YouTube tutorial and an interface and a good camera is all you need. And it's just, it's troubleshooting, you know, trial and error, you just work it out. And then once you've got everything set up, it's a really good way of knowing that you can kind of look after yourself at the other end of this. And how does it feel performing in that digital space versus oh, being on stage? Chelsea, let me tell you something. Um, <laughs> it's very uncomfortable, um, very confronting. Um, I think I, as a live performer, I thrive off the energy of the audience and what for me makes a good show is that interaction with my audience and you know, it's a little chatter in the room between sets and the applause and like I can tell that I'm doing a good job if people are responsive to what I'm putting out there. So when you're performing via a live stream down the barrel of a computer or like a barrel of a camera lens, it just feels really sterile and really cold and you're kind of performing to no one. It almost feels like a rehearsal um, but you get you get used to it you know especially when you realize or come to accept that this is this is the new normal and you just kind of have to get on with it you find the ways to bring joy to that performance I think that's what really helped with me performing alongside Christian because I think our on-stage interaction was more genuine and it was a lot warmer because we were the only people that we had to vibe off um and I think it actually made for a better performance in the end because that connection definitely um 
it got it got strengthened because we didn't have the distraction of audience members or you know if either one of us made a mistake it would just be like a moment of like oh that's all right you know get it next time sort of thing we weren't too worried about being show perfect for the audience um and then once we got more comfortable performing in front of the camera um we put the live chat up on a different screen so we could see people's feedback um so that's a really nice way as well and you see people sort of interacting amongst each other in the live chat so that's a good way of knowing that you've got a presence of people there but um you know I did my first gig back on the weekend to an audience because I'm in Canberra and Canberra's like (laughs) It's like COVID never happened. It's really weird. It's like a whole different world, Um, you know. So we had an audience of 24 for each seating. We did two shows. Um, That feeling, honestly, just I will never take an audience for granted again, ever. Um, Doing streams is great, you know. It's good to have access to that technology and I definitely appreciate having the privilege and the access to this technology to be able to do it. But nothing can compare to singing to a room full of people and, Mm. yeah, just having them be so engaged. And I think because people have been missing gigs for a really long time, I could have put on a really just (laughs) not that great show and they would have loved it, you know. But I think, yeah, you, you, you have to earn your audience over and over again. And, you know, you realise how unfit you are. Like, I I wasn't show fit. I think we were about halfway through the first set and I was already like, oh, I'm really exhausted. The stage lights are too hot. I can't, you know, I need to just like pace myself and just kind of learning how to present yourself on stage again and how to just take in every moment and not overwhelm yourself too soon. It's definitely something that I know that... Um, it's still a long way off um, for Victorians. Um, festivals are definitely a really long way off. Like there's just no way. But I think every performance opportunity is one worth putting 120% into because that could be the new normal. It's just so incredible to be able to pick up a whole new skill set that you didn't have before. Yeah. Um, and I just think it shows how incredibly resilient and versatile musicians are. Mm. Um but you already have to do so much, you know, you write your own material, you know, in terms of, you know, managing your own career, you know, booking your own tours, being your own tour manager, doing your own social media, oh my God, yeah. you know, and, and now it's also, it's also this. When you put it in that context, like it's literally, it's that, you know, artists and their, their brand and their band, like it's, it's a big machine. And I think um, independent artists, you know, depending on how this um, pandemic has been for you and what you've been able to do with your music during this time, are probably in a really great position to be empowered on the other end of this. If, yeah, picking up these extra skill sets, like learning how to do graphic design for your online releases that you've done or, yeah, doing more of your own promo marketing, you can't do face-to-face interviews, setting up a podcast, hello, Chelsea. You know, all these things that will just make you a force on the other end of it and knowing how self-sustainable your project can be so you know what standard you're looking for when you're now outsourcing some of that work you know what I mean you won't settle for Mm -hmm. whatever comes along you'll actually be yeah super 
not militant, but you'll you'll know what standard you're you're going for, and you'll know what the value of your dollar going to this person doing this work for you that you could probably do yourself. It would have to be really worth it. Um, that's how I consider it anyway. Um, but yeah, I feel yeah. really empowered I mean, knowing that I can do stuff for myself now. It's really good. I wanted to ask you about confidence. Yeah, what you think you know confidence is because so often you know studies and surveys say that women's lack of confidence you know, holds us back mm. from participating fully in the music industry. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you have had so and have the confidence to be able to go, that's not a skill that I had before and I'm going to just go in there and just do it. So how do you find that that confidence? I've never really had to think about it. But if I, when I think about it now, I think I always, I've always considered myself um, and equal to my male counterparts. I have not exclusively, but a majority of my of my career, I've worked with a lot of men, um, male booking agents, male management. My band is made up of males, and I think existing in that space that is so male dominated already, and just kind of undermines a lot of what women's contributions to those spaces are. I've never considered myself anything other than an equal to those people. So I've always been quite assertive and people might have in the past called me bitchy for it or difficult to work with for it. But I I always look back at those those experiences now and I see, well, obviously this is a common misconception whenever a woman is taking a lead role in something like everyone that works in my band works for me right? If I'm paying them, there is no reason for me not to consider myself just as much of a leader as what my male counterpart would. Um, You know, I had to make some difficult decisions a couple of years ago and let a band member go. And this band member was like, well, did you talk to the rest of the band about it? Like, what do they think? And I'm like, what they think doesn't matter because this is my band. And if I'm paying you and you're no longer serving your purpose, I'll be letting you go. So thank you for your contributions. And that's the end of it. And I think in that moment, I realized that it was really hard for people to take me seriously. And I kind of changed my approach with the band because I used to just be really like, um, I, I, I think I valued being nice and being liked above being respected. And it's not that you have to obviously lead with a heavy hand in order to gain respect, but there's going to be some situations that are quite uncomfortable and quite confronting that you just kind of have to be very assertive and be strong in. And I'll be honest, a lot of the time I'm just kind of, I'm faking it until I make it. Um, I If I don't know what I'm talking about, I will pretend that I know what I'm talking about. And if I need to concede later on, then I'll do so. But in that moment, um, it's really important for my authority to not be undermined. And that's in every situation. Um, I've had that when I've gone to book my own gigs and I've got, you know, venue managers or venue bookers or festival promoters not taking me seriously. And I've really just had to sort of reiterate and I guess overpromise. Um to be taken seriously and then I know that if I do get an opportunity to have that platform I then have to over deliver in order to justify having it been put on it and just to put people in their place and I'm not going to name names but there's a few venues that I had to do that around <laughs> Melbourne with until um, 
until people started taking me seriously. But I get my confidence from not seeing myself as different, you know. And, like, I'll, I'll be honest, um, it's seeing – and I'm not even saying this to, like, blow smoke off your ass, Chelsea, honestly. But I think that you are just, like, the most incredible – resilient strong inspiring woman in our industry and to see you in all your positions no honestly to see you in all the positions that you hold and all that you do like I remember it's such a weird thing because I remember when you were lecturing at JMC I wasn't at JMC but my partner Henry was and the way that he would speak about you as this female lecturer who does this and this and this I was like wow what a badass but he could never figure out why he didn't really like you and I realized that it was because you were a woman in a position of power that had a great amount of influence and I knew that this is the kind of person that I need to be to to get that respect do you know what I mean like I I don't know what it was I think and then any interaction that I had with you after that I was like Chelsea's that bitch she's getting shit done yes this is what I aspire to you know what I mean I want I want to be respected the way that I respect you I want to not only be seen as a singer in Melbourne you know I want to be on the board of organizations that help foster positive change I want to be seen as a community leader I want to be a mentor I want young young women, young young people in our, in our industry to look up to me the way that I looked up to you. And the fact that I'm having this conversation with you on a platform that you are creating for these conversations to happen is just a constant affirmation of what I'm working towards. Does that kind of make sense? The, the confidence also comes from the women around me that are absolutely killing it, you know? And I'm just... Yeah, I think I'm really lucky to have so many role models around me and that's what gives me the confidence. I think it definitely would have been more difficult if I didn't have people to look up to, especially in such close proximity, and the confidence comes from seeing people do what I want to do. Oh, thanks so much. I'm totally thrown for my next Sorry. question. No, I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> like, oh, <laughs> you big sweetheart. <laughs> um. So for women that don't feel confident or they think, I wish I could be like Tanda or I wish I could do the things that she does, what would you say to them to to build that confidence? Uh, I know it's difficult for some people to do, but like literally the number one way is to fake it till you make it. <laughs> Honestly, like you have to hold yourself in an air of confidence and self-assuredness that no one can second guess. And the only way people will be able to believe that you're the shit is if you believe you're the shit. Um, You need daily affirmations. You need to tell yourself on a day-to-day basis that you are worth the successes that you seek for yourself. You are worth every win that you get. You deserve every win that you get. Um, You also have to be honest with yourself about the amount of effort that you put into achieving the things that you want to achieve and nothing in this world will ever come easy or fall into your lap and if you're comparing yourself to the next person and you're using that as I guess your your benchmark for success you're not really setting yourself up for success because everybody's path to success is different yeah you have to set personal goals for yourself and really believe in yourself and you've got to be your own cheerleader you know especially in 
a world where people will doubt you and look down upon you and just kind of look for everything that's wrong with you. You've got to be the person that uplifts yourself and loves yourself because, yeah, RuPaul says it best. (laughs) If you can't love yourself, how in the hell are you going to love anybody else, right? And you can't expect other people to, to, you know, raise you up and to help you and your successes unless you're willing to do the grunt work yourself. So, yeah, I, I truly believe in being being a self advocate. So you've got to really fight for yourself. I think we could just have a whole podcast on the learnings of the scriptures of RuPaul. <laughs> Because I feel like I've learned so many life lessons. You know, you your inner saboteur, yeah. like all those things he talks about, the inner voice that criticizes you. You know, just as you're getting going. You know, and I think artists we often have that that inner voice, yeah. that inner critic. And and how do you how do you get rid of that? How do you move and along? How do you push through it? Do you have an? Do you know, I for yeah. me personally, like I have that inner saboteur like hassling me all the time all the time um it's not something that ever fully goes away you know it's just a matter of how I manage it I think what's a really good exercise for me whenever it starts to rear its ugly head at me I always try to look back at the things that I have achieved so I have like my Spotify playlist I have a a playlist called the ultimate tando collection and it's a collection of all the songs I've ever featured on or written or have released and I just will just listen to myself and I'm like yeah I did that that's what I did yeah or I'll go on YouTube and I'll look at every video that's been uploaded that has me in it or just things to 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 solidify again sorry to affirm that I am exactly where I belong and I definitely am not an imposter and imposter syndrome is a real thing that we we can suffer Mm -hmm. from and and it's just a really great way of keeping those voices at bay I have an email folder that I put any good feedback oh that's awesome so you know if an artist writes to me and says I loved doing that gig thanks for booking me or you know I put that in my good feedback folder or you know a nice any any good feedback yeah. because you have those really really bad days yeah. and you go to that folder and you go oh I did do something yeah. that's good. amazing yeah yeah just self self love self care if you put that yeah something like that just to uplift yourself and to hype yourself up as part of your self care routine it's a really great way of being able to yeah get over those moments of that self doubt and yeah and you know what like sometimes these voices what well, that in a saboteur gets to a point where it might get in the way of opportunities that present themselves and you just have to really do what you can to get past it um you know like I'll see jobs jobs advertised that like when I first read the job description I'm like I'd be awesome with that I'd kill it and then if I don't make like sit down and make the effort to apply for the job in that moment while I'm like yeah this is gonna be great if I think on it too long that inner saboteur comes out the next day I'm looking at that job description and I'm like oh there's probably someone a lot more qualified than me to do that so I'm just not gonna bother and I just you just keep going back and forth and you know if I didn't have that if I didn't have that saboteur coming out I probably would have applied for it anyway so you know that self-confidence like while it is a very real thing and it's definitely helped put me in a lot of the the wins and the successes that I have there is the counterpart to that which has held me back from a lot of things so it's just a matter of how often I let that saboteur win 
and it is a lot of work um and I'm still working at it like I'm not I'm not I definitely haven't nailed it it's not I'm not perfect but I I can identify it and I know what I need to do to be able to get it under control so yeah just to sort of balance out the self-love and awesome empowerment message we're like yeah that (laughs) some some bad days do happen and I do miss out on some opportunities but yeah, I also have to take responsibility for my own mental health. So that's definitely something that I'm aware of and I know what I need to do. And I know that once I have that under control. So speaking of the wins, you know, often as artists, we're just going from project to project. And I know that, you know, you've been in music theatre shows and then you're putting out another record and then you're touring and then you're doing more recording. Do you pause to take stock and celebrate the wins? And if so, how do you how do you celebrate those successful moments? Um, I never I never paused. Um, I, I didn't pre pre COVID. Um, I didn't, and that was because without being stressed about deadlines or a project or something, um, or planning a tour or being on tour or doing a show, I didn't know who I was, and. I think this is why it was really difficult for me. It's also very difficult for me to find time to be creative because I've never actually taken a break. I've never even taken a creative break um, to just kind of deconstruct what's going on in my mind and put it into a song. Like I just I just haven't had that time ever. Um, I think COVID has really been a great um, – well, it's nothing great about COVID, but um, as far as being an artist, it's been a really great opportunity to, yeah, take stock of everything that I've achieved. And like I said, that that playlist and just kind of compiling all the wins. Um, I think my former agent at the end of our contract gave me this like poster. It's like a zero size poster with all the shows that I'd played in 2018. And it was like, 160 shows or something it was ridiculous and I looked at that <laughs> that poster and I was like wow no wonder I was so friggin' tired like <laughs> I like definitely had burnout at the end of that year but just like little things like that that just kind of made me realize look I've achieved so much I think a really important part of having all the successes is being able to celebrate them and not be thinking about the next thing. I know that that can be difficult if you're working with a team or, yeah, if you have like a label or an agent or there are these expectations that are set. You as the artist at the end of the day, you get to put your foot down and say, I need two or three months to just not worry about a thing. Uh, I'll come back to you. I'm not saying that I'm going to be creating things in this two or three months, but I do need this time for myself to be able to, rest and reset, recalibrate, and then get back into it, you know. Um, COVID for me was really great for that because from like March to June, I didn't do anything but be a mum and enjoy my life and figure out who I am without music. And all it did was make me really hungry to get music out there again. So in July, I released a single and I've got this EP coming out at the end of the year. And I wouldn't have thought that in the middle of a pandemic, I would care to release music. Like who needs who needs new material during a pandemic? And I just kind of realized, well, it doesn't matter whether people need it or not. This is something that I want to do for me. And if I'm passionate about it and people can use a distraction if they don't want to hear about the stats every single day and they just want to think about other things, then I'm happy to be that distraction for them, you know. 
time off is really important. And I think I learned that from Beyonce. <laughs> um, <laughs> she she had obviously like just gone like um, from Destiny's Child to her solo stuff and had released an album every like two years or something and did like two world tours in the space of four years. And when she got to the end of one of the tours, she had completely burnt, burnt out and she was like, this isn't making me happy anymore. And because this is all I've ever known, I don't know what stopping is going to do to me and I don't know if I'm going to love it, but I'm going to take that risk because I can't fall out of love with the one thing that I that I love and that I know how to do. So she took some time off and then did this whole doco about it and then had her baby and then she had a newfound sense of inspiration and excitement. She was like, wow, we're going to get back on the road. It's going to be awesome. And it comes back out with like what I considered her magnum opus. And I was like, wow, how cool is that? She went away, lived her life and like just became Beyonce the person, you know, and then comes back guns blazing and just like elevates Mm -hmm. you know and that was just a true testament to the power of self-care and putting yourself first and yeah putting the needs of others on the back burner and what whoever those other people are in your life when you're when you're creating your art it's really important not to it's really important not to forget about yourself in the grand scheme of things and yeah like I I was always worried because obviously I have this band there's like six people in my band and you know, everyone had committed so much time into learning my songs and taking time off their other bands so they could go on tours with me. And, you know, we went to LA um, at the end of 2018. And I think that was like at the end of a really big year for us. Everyone was really tired and we couldn't really enjoy ourselves the way that we thought we would because it was just like work, 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 Mm -hmm. work. We were there for less than a week, got back and just it had just come and gone like it just passed us by and I think that was when I decided that I needed to just slow down actually that's when I got pregnant so that's I think the timing of everything sort of worked <laughs> out so and so there's been so many you know amazing highs and some successes what have the the biggest challenges been in your career the hardest parts so far and how have you overcome them um I would say the biggest thing for me was entrusting my career and everything to do with my career you know not only like the creative aspects but like the financial and like goal setting and all that stuff entrusting them in one person who was obviously like obviously very ambitious and you know sold me a dream and wasn't really able to back it up I think I learned not to put all my eggs in one basket um, it's obviously no criticism to that person because they they do a great job in their own sense, but it just wasn't a good match for me. I didn't trust my gut. Um, you know, my intuition was telling me to be careful, but I just kind of just went with the thing and I very, very quickly lost control. This is how we did those 150 shows in one year, which is crazy. I don't understand how I went on three tours, three national tours. Like who goes to WA three times in a year on like a small – indie budget like I just had no money I I ran myself into a lot of debt um, as a result of a lot of those ventures and I think pulling myself out of it um, that was probably the lowest point in my career because I had to back pay tens of thousands of dollars in band fees um, invoices to publicists and there was a lot that landed back on my plate Um, and I think yeah losing control of 
everything that I had worked up to and everything looked like it was awesome, um, you know, on, on the surface, but beneath it, everything was crumbling. Long-term working relationships fell apart as well as a result of um, all this mismanagement. And it just kind of, yeah, it made me realize, made me take stock of what was important. And I think, yeah, learning how to be an effective leader and how to communicate better with my team um, and how to sort of set out my expectations properly. My mum had like listened to some audiobook by, is it Brene Brown? I don't know. Yeah. And she'd said, um, you have to, you have to think about the way that you communicate your expectations to people, because this is probably why things Mm -hmm. um, haven't turned out the way that you wanted them to and why, you know, your musicians aren't, happy aren't satisfied because you just kind of expected them to know what the deal was instead of actually communicating with them so you should try this this and this and after sort of reviewing the way that yeah I communicate with people in my team and giving them a giving them the platform to let me know what to air out their grievances and sort of parting ways amicably um, and having a good relationship with them now um, just taught me a really big lesson about how to sort of let my standards be known. And and I guess this is, yeah, this is what comes back into that whole, like where does that confidence come from? If I, if I see mm-hmm. myself as not just a mate and actually as a leader and I treat people with respect and dignity and, you know, a really big one was obviously if I expect people to do a certain thing, I should obviously compensate them the same way, you know, so that was a really big one for me as well, work out how to make that extra money so that I can achieve my vision the way that I expect it to. It's huge. You know, again, it's that, you know, you are the star of the show. You are the front woman. You are the vocalist. You have to carry the music to the audience and connect with that audience. That's already a massive job. But then behind the scenes, you're expected to also be a leader with world's most, you know, these, you're a boss, not just a boss and a manager, but mm. a leader to, to carry that band with that vision that you have and all of the other logistics and have the capital. And, you know, I mean, the skill set of the contemporary artist is just phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, when people talk about music industry, like each, each artist <laughs> is an industry within themselves because, yeah, if you think about, you know, the amount or well, the level of skill set you've got to have to be able to successfully run this thing, you know, um, and I've made so many mistakes that I've learnt from and I think I take that into every new venture that I go into and I know what I don't want the outcome to be and I find that that's a really good way to avoid repeating those mistakes. But, yeah, it's it's all still very much a learning curve. I'm still quite young, so I'm hoping by the time I reach my <laughs> maturity in this industry that I would have nailed it. So here's hoping. I've got one, qu- one more question for you. Post-COVID, what kind of change do you hope to see in the Australian music industry for us to get a more balanced, more intersectional music industry that cares more? Um. First and foremost, and I think the most attainable, I think, which is just I feel like should have happened already, I I think that there should be more of a union focus amongst musicians. I think I think it's 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 been a lot of things have been brought to the forefront in us obviously losing all this work. So things like deposits or like for corporate gigs and 
rights of pay, things like that. I think it's really important if we as musicians can work together to standardize the industry that we live in. I think that would be, um, for me, a non-negotiable. It's easy enough to do. We just have to get everybody on the same page. Um, Longer term, on a bigger scale, I would love to see um, positions of power that are held within the music industry um, be held by different people. I think all the same gatekeepers have still been in these positions for a very long time and, um, you know, the grassroots or the underground scene, I'll call it, um, is a very clear indicator that, you know, those people are no longer relevant and the way that they think is not reflective of our industry and what people want to hear and what people resonate most with. And just basically anyone that's, mm-hmm. you know, in a position of power be able to um, to consult with, you know, people within the community. like So like community elected representatives, like a board or something that represents the interests of all musicians, you know, and yet to be completely intersectional. So, you know, not in the ways of just, you know, having diversity bills on music festivals because, like, while that's well-intentioned, it's kind of now gotten beyond that point. It's like how are we actively trying to change the landscape to be completely inclusive without it being a token thing, like a tokenizing thing? Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's something that I've always struggled with because I've felt a lot of times – I've obviously been a diversity bill and in my sort of personal standing, the only reason I don't have a problem with it is because I I prioritise that representation and to be an example for the next generations. But I feel as I grow out of that, I want to see my presence translating to, you know, a more merit-based programming of a festival lineup that is diverse. I hate the word diverse, but it has to be reflective of our landscape and our landscape isn't cis white men, you know. It's literally everyone else. So those people need to be in higher positions of power and I think that that's a more long-term thing though because I feel now people are having that confidence and that, yeah, that comfort to be able to stand up and actually – to talk about these things and to not feel like they're going to get mm. locked out of opportunities for voicing their opinions because I know that that's been a really big thing. People just kind of stay quiet because they don't want to get shut out. So The meritocracy thing is is hard though because I feel that if your balance and your listening has always been skewed, if there's more you know, men being played on the radio, for example, and the, the music writers are male and so all the reviews of male work is Oh, five yeah, stars. True, and man. For women, it's not. Your perspective is already yeah, skewed that yeah. way. So people point towards merit, but yeah, it's it's quite tricky it's to get a balance yeah. right. If you're if most people think that men are better at making music in the first then place, that's why, yeah. Then- no, I totally hear that, and this is why I was saying like if that's more of like a long term, bigger scale change because I obviously don't see a lot of these changes happening immediately after COVID and I can't even sort of scale like what is an appropriate amount of time for these things to change. But the unionising thing, like I definitely think that that's something that should be happening behind the scenes now before the music industry reopens because having been the first industry to fold and will probably be the last industry to open up again once normalcy returns, 
there is no time better than right now to make those changes. And I think I can't lead that though, because I don't know that much. So if anyone listening to this wants to uh, help unionize, mobilize the troops, but yeah, I will not be doing it, but I will definitely support you in any way that you need me to just putting it out there. Well, we, we need you. I hope you're part of those those conversations. It is really tricky. Nobody has those specific answers. There was um, a proposal and a paper written um, from a guy in South Australia who has come up with a union-type mm. plan about different pay rates, but it's very hard to classify musicians into who fits what yeah, pay rate. And his proposal is this is a hobby musician and this is a semi-professional musician and this is the professional professional musician and you go well some people choose to have day jobs so they can be more selective in the gigs they do um that doesn't mean you're on a lower level of talent so who chooses who fits into which category uh yeah so those things are they're very it's very complicated, yeah. but it's not impossible, I think, for us to to reach a, a better system where that's mm, fair. That's it. And I think what often happens is artists are exploited. Um, so there's a lot of work so to be much. done. But it's also very exciting because yeah. I think no matter what the industry that we get on the other side of COVID, will it be a better one? Time will tell. I hope so. I hope it makes audiences and and people and musicians audiences are people <laughs> you know what I mean I hope people appreciate yeah. more you know the good times definitely yeah. yeah um well it's been such a good time yeah very good time what a pleasure pleasure speaking to you again Chelsea wow So that was my chat with the incredible Tando. I hope you got out of the conversation as much as I did. I honestly can't wait to hear her new record and I'm so excited to see what happens next. For more Tando and to buy her music, please check out the links in the show notes. And please do follow Tando on Instagram and Facebook and make sure you subscribe to Control to hear future episodes of the podcast. You've been listening to Control. This episode was produced by Chelsea Wilson and edited by Amy Chapman with support from City of Melbourne's COVID-19 Arts Grants. This podcast was recorded on the lands of the Kulin Nations with respect given to elders past, present and emerging. Until next time, be kind. This is Chelsea Wilson signing off.